Well, good morning, everyone. If you're watching online, welcome. Um, this morning, we're uh, going to continue our study in the book of Acts. We find ourselves in Acts chapter 10. Um, if you noticed I wasn't here last week, I, I, I know you like, might have thought, like, who's that handsome guy up there? Well, it, it just wasn't me, but Chris did uh, an, an excellent job uh, last week. I got to watch it online, so well done, Chris. It was good. Uh, and I got to see all of my grandkids uh, for, for that week. So got to visit with all eight of them and um, uh, uh, Jennifer's wife. I mean, yeah, Jennifer's wife. Daniel's wife, Jennifer, <laughs> is expecting number nine on January 24th. So we're really excited about that. And um, when I was down in New York, I got to... Uh, I don't know how the pastoral role relates to this, but I got to build a pagan temple, a ziggurat, uh, with uh, my grandson as part of his high school, uh, high school, man, his uh, school, uh, a school project, which um, Danny was very grateful for. She, she goes, oh, pause, pause with us for the weekend, and we got a project for him. So that was, uh, that was pretty good. So so thanks to Chris and uh, for teaching last week, and uh, and my grandkids, uh, thank you for letting uh, me have a visit with them. So, if you have your Bibles, if you'll come with me to uh, Acts chapter ten, you can put a put your finger there in Acts chapter ten. But if you also turn, uh, find your way to Genesis chapter six, verse nine is going to be part uh, of the introduction. So uh, let's pray, and then we'll begin our study this morning. Father, we thank you for um, uh, speaking to our hearts through uh, the worship this morning, and I pray, Lord, that as we, as we turn to your word this morning, uh, that you would enlarge our heart uh, for the things of God, and that you would fuel uh, a passion uh, to be on mission for you, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been said that Acts chapter 10 is one of the most important chapters in the whole Bible. Matter of fact, uh, James uh, Montgomery Boyce, who's a great a theologian, he's home with the Lord now, he says something like this, the 10th chapter of Acts is one of the most important chapters in Acts, perhaps one of the most important chapters in the whole Bible. Now, if you're reading through Acts, you'd say, perhaps, why? Why is Acts chapter 10 get the attribution that it's the most important chapter in the book of Acts, but perhaps the most important chapter in the entire Bible? Well, the answer to that is found in the heart of God. Is in the heart of God, he sent his, you know this verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent, his one and only son. And what Acts chapter 10 does, is expresses the heart of God, that God loves all people, all tongues, all nations, and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to rescue people from sin and death and to bring them into a relationship with God. Boys, if we were to take a step back and look at chapters 8, chapters 9, and chapters 10 of the book of Acts, what we would find is one unifying theme in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, and Acts chapter 10, is that God loves all people of all tongues, of all nations. Come with me to Genesis chapter 6 and take a look at verse 9 with me. And what you're going to see in verse 9 is that there are three sons of Noah who represent the entire genealogy of mankind. Out of these three sons, all the peoples of the earth find their, say, their, their line back uh, to the beginning, not only to Abraham, but to the three sons of Noah. 
And take a look at the verse with me, Genesis 6, verse 9. For these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had, how many sons did Noah have? Three. Wow, this is like amazing. Like the, the response is like, look what one hour does in the life of the hearts of God's people. He had three sons. What are the names of those three sons? His first one was? And the second? And the third? If you had to take a guess, Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch, what would be his generational link to the past? Any, anybody want to take a stab at it? Ooh, who said that? Oh, that's very good. Ham. I wish I had like, I've got like a whole bag of um, like Halloween treats that I, I didn't give out. So maybe I just bring them and then I can just reward people for the right answer. So, so okay, one, uh, so that's chap, chapter eight. There's chapter nine uh, is Saul. Who would be Saul's genealogical link to Noah? Shem, yes, yeah, someone whispered that very tentatively. That was good. Shem. So that's chapter 8. That's chapter 9. And we have one guy left, Japheth. And we have one chapter left, which is chapter 10. Who do you think is linked to Japheth? You can all get it. <laughs> How about Cornelius? And so what we see globally when you look at the big picture of chapter 8, chapter 9, in chapter 10, they're all linked back to the three sons of Noah. What does that tell you about the heart of God? John 3.16. God loved the world, and he sent his son. All people, all tongues, all nations are the object of God's love. The second thing that kind of a big picture item that I'd like you to take away from chapters 8, 9, and 10 is when we look at God's heart is for all people, what was the impediment in the early church that kept the gospel from going forth? I'd like to suggest to you that it's religious prejudice. The early church felt that they were primarily a Jewish people, and it was primarily a Jewish gospel. And so in chapter 8, and chapter 9, and chapter 10, who directly intervenes so the gospel can expand? Jesus Christ. Who appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus? Jesus Christ. Who came and touched the Ethiopian eunuch when, they, when uh, Philip came and explained to him Isaiah chapter 53? Jesus Christ. Who comes and intervenes in Cornelius' life to, to lift his vision and to, pro, and to draw Peter to come and witness to Cornelius? The angel of the Lord, or another way of saying that, is Jesus Christ came and revealed himself. When we look at chapters 8, 9, and 10, we see two things that are, that are dominant. We see the love of God in reaching all people, and we see the prejudice, the religious prejudice of people keeping the gospel from us. It brings us, before, and we haven't even reached the text yet, it brings us to an uncomfortable place. If God loves all people, and the gospel is for all people, all tribes, all nations, and if prejudice keeps the gospel from all people, what does that say to us today? Or let me change the word. Let me give you a cinnamon, yeah, a cinnamon, <laughs> a cinnamon bun, no. That's for breakfast. A synonym for prejudice. One word, fear. 
Fear of maybe not pleasing God. Fear of other people that are different than ourselves. Fear that we might cheapen grace. Fear, fill in the blank. And in chapters 8, 9, and 10, what we see is the direct intervention of God to conquer prejudice and to conquer fear so that all people, all tribes, all tongues, so that the Gentiles would have full access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we look at church life today, what keeps people out? How do we do that? How about church membership? We create an in-group and an out-group. You're in if you're, say, displaying some of the spiritual disciplines. If you're not displaying them, you're out. And when you can grapple with those two poles, God's love and our prejudice, then you can, be, then you can begin to unpackage Acts chapter 10 and understand what's going on there. And if you're willing, if you're willing to step into Peter's shoes and to capture Peter's heart, if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to be honest with how we as a church keep people over here, if you're willing to examine your own heart and say, this is how I keep people at a distance, then we come to the place of transformation where maybe we could really be on mission of loving God and loving people. Like, like, if you, like in Peter's shoes, Peter thought he was doing the right thing, did he not? And Jesus himself had to come and speak to the man's heart. Come with me to Acts chapter 10. We'll read through it. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a narrative for sure. It speaks for itself. And then what we'll do is we'll look at three different slides and try to apply Acts chapter 10 to our lives. At Caesarea, we're at Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. It's a common name. He was a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. Now, he was a non-commissioned officer. He was a part of volunteers. What motivated him to do that? Well, if you served uh, uh, 10, 20 years as a, as a non-commissioned officer in the Italian army, uh, the cohort that served Rome as a volunteer, you would get a plum, and that plum was Roman citizenship. And so you got a non-commissioned officer who was in charge of probably depends on who you read, somewhere between 300 and 1,000 men this guy was in charge of. And what Luke describes him, he describes him as a devout man. Come back to the text. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man. And Luke helps us to define what a devout man looks like. He was a man that had three things going for him. He feared God, right? He gave alms to the poor, shows his, his compassion, his sensitivity. He, he was loved by the whole nation of Israel, we're going to read. And he did what? He prayed to God continually. The question that we want to drill down on was Cornelius, was he a Christian? Was Cornelius born again? Was Cornelius a person of faith? And the answer to that all three of those questions are no, he was not. Cornelius was a believer even though he was headed in the right direction. Cornelius was a believer even though uh, Cornelius was not a believer even though he practiced the spiritual disciplines. And I'm not going to diminish Cornelius' spiritual disciplines. If you have grandchildren and you ever go bowling, you ever hear of these things of bumpers you put in? Have you ever gone bowling with grandchildren or your own children without bumpers? It's a life of misery. 
If you put the bumpers in, keeps the ball going straight. You hit a few pins. The grandkids or your kids go, woohoo! Spiritual disciplines are like that. So we don't want to diminish spiritual disciplines, but they don't make a person what? They don't make a person a believer. And Cornelius wasn't a believer, but he was headed in the right direction. And that's what grace looks like. Grace is wooing Cornelius. Grace is calling out to Cornelius. And, P and Cornelius exercises what? He exercises his free will to respond to the grace of God. And what does God do? Does God say, you're in or you're out? Just take a guess. He's in. The Jews go to Cornelius, you're in or you're out. You're out. And that's the point of Acts chapter 10, is that grace is drawing Cornelius because the heart of God is to reach all people, all tongues, all ethnic groups. What's going to prevent or what is the impediment that the early church had to deal with so that the gospel could go to all people. It was what? Religious prejudice, if we can substitute a word for prejudice, it's called fear. Fear of letting them in. Back to the text. Verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly, Cornelius saw clearly in a vision, an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror. Did you note that? And terror. And what was Cornelius' response? He knew it was, he knew it was God. He knew it was the Lord. He answers him, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, the Lord says to him, your prayers and your arms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Is Cornelius a believer? No. Is he a devout man? Is he a man who prays? Is he a man that's seeking after God? Yeah. Now, as a pastor, if I had someone in that, in, in that demonstrated these things, what do you think I would do with him? Well, we got to make him a home group leader. And he's given what? He's given arms. Well, we got to put him where? Got to put him on the board. And Cornelius wasn't saved because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so God's plan, because he loves all people, he sent Cornelius instructions to send for who? Peter, who's going to come and do what? Preach the gospel to him. Come back to the text with me. What's, oh, by the way, what's Peter struggling with? Religious prejudice. Come back to the text. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. So Peter's praying three times a day. Is he a devout man? Yes, he is. Is Peter a believer? Yes, he is. Verse 10. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice to him saying to Peter, 
rise, Peter, kill and eat. And what was Peter's response? No way. It would be like, you know, if you're from the South, if you're from Virginia, it'd be like God saying to, to Peter, look, Peter, I've got this great barbecue sandwich. I want you to rise and eat it. Who in their right mind would say no? Peter says no because it's birthed out of what? It's birthed out of fear that he wouldn't please God. It's birthed out of fear and and that, that Peter, if he did that, would be in the in-group or the out-group? Be in the out-group. And what God says to Peter is to rise and eat, and Peter says, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited the men to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away from them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. And Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Question. Back to Abraham. Was it ever unlawful for a Jewish person to reach out to another nation, another person that was not of the same ethnic background as, as the Jews? No. Abraham was called to be a what? To, a, to be a blessing, to be a blessing, and ultimately the Messiah would come through the Jews to reach who? The Gentiles. What's the problem here? The problem here is, is unbiblical religious convictions that don't represent the heart of God. What is the heart of God? John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he sent his son. What's the problem in 8, 9, and 10. The problem is, is that they had religious prejudice which resulted in the rejection of the Gentiles. If you read Josephus, Josephus records, he was a historian during early years of Christianity. If you read Josephus, the Jews on the outer court wall had an inscription on the wall. It said, basically, no Gentiles, if you come here, you're subject to what? Death. What was the court of the Gentiles designed for? So that my house would be called a house of prayer for all what? Nations. Peter's 
religious prejudice kept him from reaching out to people. The challenge for us, I'll let you fill in the blank. We're going to get there at the end. Come back to the text with me. It says, And Cornelius said four days ago, and he repeats the story. And then come to verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly understand. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Let me read it again. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation who fears him and does what is right is what? In the eyes of God. Acceptable to him. Next step. Peter does what? Peter preaches the gospel in the, in the verses that come. Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and he'll transform your life and, and forgive your sins, and you'll become, you'll have right standing before God. In verse 44, what is the, what is the, the outcome of preaching the gospel? While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised group who thought they were in the in-group or the out-group. The in-group. They were what? Amazed that God would let them in, not by circumcision in the law, but by what? Grace. How does God let people into the kingdom today? Oh, no, no, no. Church life now. Come on, church members. You got to have this, 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 and this, and we're going to have you meet with a committee. And if the committee signs off, then you're part of what group? Part of the in group. They, the circumcision group, and Paul's going to have a hard time with them when we get to Galatians, right? Who has bewitched you, having begun in the spirit, now trying to be made perfect in the flesh? Back to the text. They were amazed. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. For then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water baptism? The people were baptized. And in chapter 11, the church is just stunned and full of joy when they hear the report that the Holy Spirit has come to the Gentiles. Now that's a great narrative, isn't it? You say, Conway, couldn't you have skipped a few verses? <laughs> it's an error. How many, you can, I'm going to put myself in this group. How, don't raise your hand. How many of you have read the book of Acts and not understood or not grasped the magnitude of Acts chapter 10? The heart of God, all people, the religious prejudice of the day, keeping people out. It took Jesus Christ himself, 8, 9, and 10. Jesus Christ himself coming and convincing Peter that his religious views and prejudice was wrong and didn't reflect the heart of God. I just put my, I just step into Peter's shoes. It's a, it's a sobering thing to think of the things that may lurk in my heart to keep people out. Let me end with three slides, and we'll, we'll work towards application. Any sociologists here? Of course not. You're all engineers. One, a sociolo uh, sociological concept called sets has to do with bounded sets and centered sets. A bounded set is a firm barrier around the people that are described as in. So there's always an in-group and there's always an out-group. And most churches operate this way. I would like to think that we don't, but that would be like, I don't know, I want to be completely honest, right? How do most churches create a bounded set 
that keep people out? You already answered the question previously. What's the number one thing that churches use? Rules. List of criteria. What's all that called? Membership. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Save us. We, we create these rigid barriers that say, unless you believe in my systematic theology, is systematic theology a creation of the Holy Spirit? So, one, one person's convinced. Thank you very much. Systematic theology can be inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? But is it the Bible? Is, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm about ready to, like, like a rocket launch, <laughs> is one of my favorite hobby horses to ride on. Systematic theology is not the Bible. It's a work of mostly godly men who want to earn a living by studying theology and selling books and tapes. It's not the Bible. And so we create all these boundaries around us that keep people out. Think of Peter now. Peter wanted to keep Cornelius out, and God wanted to let Cornelius where? In. Did Peter think he was right? Yes. Do, we, do you think we think we're right? Yes. And that's the, that's the rub when it comes to church life. When you, when you drive up to your favorite market, you don't like shop and rob at all. It's too expensive. But when you write, drive up to your favorite market, Market Basket, of course, otherwise known as, in primitive days, Demoulis. But when you drive up there, what do you do when you see the person at the island outside of Market Basket? The last time I pulled up to Market Basket, it was a veteran. By the way, Saturday's Veterans Day. Thank you to all our veterans. He's disheveled. He's soiled. He's got, a, he's got a sign that came out of a dumpster saying homeless, help. Do we have an inbred prejudice toward a person like that? I'd say, I do. I pull up and say, hey, buddy, why don't you, why don't you go down to the VA and get your, why don't you get some, Go, go get sober. Why don't you get some help? And sometimes I, I put up my window, and where do I keep my eyes? Straight ahead. Where's the homeless vet looking at? Straight at me. And, and you can feel it. Where's the heart of God? If you, if you can deal with that, if you can own that, you can understand a, a bounded set and a close, a bounded set in and out, and you can understand what Peter is going through and what we're called to be as a Christian. What is the remedy? What does... Acts chapter 10, show us. Next slide. Shows us a centered set, both in the heart of God and in the ministry of Peter and the interaction of Cornelius. Cornelius, was he going in the right direction? Yes. He's a God-fearer. He's devout. He's a God-fearer. He's praying and he's also doing what? He's given money to the Jews who's calling him in or out. Out. The Jews rejected Cornelius. Did God reject Cornelius? No. God continued to woo him, even though he wasn't converted. God continued to woo him by his grace. God continued to... God intervened in his life and gave him a test of faith. I want you to, I want you to send for Peter in Joppa. Peter's going to come in grace. 
and preach the gospel to him, Cornelius is going to respond in faith, and the Holy Spirit's going to come and seal the deal. Okay, here's the, here's the big struggle here in our culture today. There's a lot of things out there, we'll just say, we don't want in here, in our culture. They're, they're, they're evil, they're bad, they destroy people's lives. But how are we to relate to a person who is like Cornelius, who's making the right steps towards Jesus Christ and the cross? How are we called to relate to that type of person? Are they in or are they out? I tell you, in my book, they're in. If someone is making steps towards the cross of Jesus Christ, if they're pursuing God, if they're attending worship, if they're uh, struggling with things in their life, but they're heading in the right direction, are they in or are they out? They're in. They're in. And until we get that in our heart of hearts, that the love of God and the grace of God is being poured out and wooing and drawing people that are imperfect, don't have all the right systematic theology, and may not even be born again. I'm going to qualify myself. This is no backdoor intrusion of universalism in our church. This is the gospel. Jesus Christ came... You remember the Irish guy? The guy in the tree? What's his name? Zacharias. Is that his name? Zacchaeus. Thank you. I'm having a senior moment, mental health moment here. Jesus said this, I have come to seek and save the church members. Come to seek and save the lost. Who are we called to? I think this is one of the most... Oh, oh, I have a proof text. I'm in. So Acts 10, 34 through 35. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is what? Heading in the right direction. We live in a very polarized culture right now. It's going to get worse. The next election's coming. Everybody's going to want to know who's in and who's out, and I ain't playing their game. Because Christ, next slide, because Christ is the center of our community. Christ is the, is the goal of our mission, to exalt Christ and to proclaim the gospel. We're going to exalt Christ and, ex and proclaim the gospel, and if a Democrat gets saved, are they in or out? Out! No. I mean in. I mean in. I mean in. Some of you said, I thought the Republicans were out. Christ, it's his church. It's his church. It's his gospel. There is only one way and in one name someone can experience eternal life. It's through Jesus Christ. We want to be on that mission to exalt and to keep center place in our church the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we want to put our arm around those who are walking towards that. And as Peter came, Peter was not neutral, was he? So let's say it again. This is not a backdoor way to become some liberal, as my brother taught last week, lukewarm church where Christ spews us out of his mouth. This is a way to, to 
be on mission and to cooperate with the grace of God working in a person's life? Does the grace of God push people away or draw them to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? The grace of God in Cornelius brought him to a place. Faith comes by hearing. He needed the word of God. He brought Peter in for our example to understand that we want to be Christ-centered as a church. What I appreciate about the narrative here, chapter 10, is that God used Peter. God used Peter. Peter's soon going to pass from the scene. But God used Peter. Paul was coming. He was going to be the greatest theologian of the church, Paul, my opinion. Paul was going to be the person God used to facilitate the expansion of the gospel to the whole known world. But it's Peter who needed some heart work to keep him on mission and to expand the gospel. He was part of that. My encouragement to us is let's be on mission and keep Jesus at the center. My encouragement to us is to acknowledge that God is doing a new work in our church. When's the last time we sent a group up to Vermont, of all places, the most liberal, the most pagan, the most unchurched state in the United States? Two weeks, thank you. There you go. Is that called being on mission? Yeah. When's the last time we helped out a multi-ethnic church that got flooded out and was on the verge of closing its doors? A couple weeks ago. Is that on mission? That's on mission. When's the last time we talked about creating a space for our young children, present tense and future, with a hope of maybe birth in a Christian school. When's the last time we talked about that? This morning. On mission? On mission. Let's keep and encourage ourselves to keep Christ at the center of our church. Let us grow in self-awareness of the things within our own heart that say to people, you're out, rather than saying to people, how can I help you walk towards Christ? For some of you, you might have to lay aside your systematic theology and pick up your Bible. What a novel idea. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Let's close with the Lord's table this morning. We'll invite Ben to come.
Let's pray together. Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I was once lost. I was blind. I had no hope. I was powerless to get to you. I was steeped in sin. But while I was in that state, you came seeking me to save, to rescue, to forgive, to adopt, to sanctify. Lord, we remember Jesus who when we were once in darkness, on the outside, came and brought us into the kingdom of God. We celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ in this place. We lift up the name of Christ, Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our King, our Healer, our sanctifier, the shepherd of our souls. We lift up the name of Christ in our assembly today. And we say, Jesus, be preeminent, have first place in our hearts, in our worship, in our love for one another. And at this table, we remember how that is all possible. It's possible because the Father loved the world and sent his Son. And we adore him and love him and find our life in him. We give you thanks today by taking this bread By breaking it, let's eat together. By taking this cup, no works, no righteousness within ourselves, nothing to be found beautiful, but Jesus came, dispensed his grace. We responded by faith in a loving and kind and a shepherd for our souls who gave us a gift, the forgiveness of sins, and imputed to us a righteousness that was not of our own making but was given to us. We are clothed in that righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, and therefore stand justified before a holy and just God in heaven. We give thanks for Christ and his propitiation. Let's drink together. Father, we lift up our prayers to you this morning. And we pray for those that are in our midst that need your healing touch. We pray for our brother. See, I do this all the time. You know me, Lord. Bobby Don Hallis, who had hip surgery. And we pray that you would speed his healing, Lord. We pray for the hearts of the broken in Maine, loved ones ripped away. We pray, Lord, that you'd comfort them and be close to them. We pray for the children in Palestine who are being destroyed. We pray that, that you would provide safe passage for them to safety, Lord. And we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, Lord.
that your justice and your righteousness would prevail. And we pray for our own hearts, Lord, that you'd keep us loving God and loving people and that we would grow in self-awareness of our own sinfulness and prejudice and our own fear that keeps people out. Lord, baptize us again, Lord, in your Holy Spirit and the love of Christ, that we would have a generous heart full of grace and kindness towards people, Lord, that your kingdom would advance through the work of our hands. And Lord, that we would be delight, we would find delight to be on mission again with Jesus, I pray. Lord, bless us and our families and the little children that are in our midst. May they grow strong in the grace and, and in the love of Jesus Christ, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us today. If you've been watching online and, and God has touched your heart, reach out to us and we can pray for you and help you. And at the end of our service today, there'll be some folks up front here that would be glad to pray and minister to you this morning. So God bless you. And uh, I just want to say a, a profound truth. Wow. Wow. About the grace of Jesus that reaches all people and, and how Jesus reached out and grabbed a hold of Cornelius' life. May we see more of that in our midst. Amen? All right, God bless you. Would you stand in the one and only Ben Knight?